Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Isa Fatima's career as a New York City-based actress, writer, playwright, producer was somewhat circuitous, to say the least. She moved here from Mississippi, was trained as a microbiologist, worked as an ads engineer at Google, and bagged all that to attend the Conservatory at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Ice has been busy ever since, acting. Her TV credits include The Good Wife and The Code, both on CBS, HBO's High Maintenance, Patrice O'Neill's Guide to White People on Comedy Central. She's also part of the cast of Mr. Robot on the USA Network, which is in its fourth season. Theater. It's complicated, half-hearted, my day on Facebook, the Motherline Project. Then there's Dirty Pocky Lingerie, Isa's one-woman show. It explores what it means to be a Muslim and Pakistani-American in the post-9-11 world. It's been performed everywhere. New York City, London, Toronto, Pakistan, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and was the only play to represent the United States at the International Theatre Festival of Turkmenistan. Isa's been very involved in a feature film based on the characters from Dirty Pocky. And speaking of films, she co-produced the feature Horror Time with James Franco. Eyes is also the recipient of a Doris Duke grant and is co-founder of the South Asian International Performing Arts Festival in New York City. So let's meet and get to know Isa Fatima. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. That is such an amazingly comprehensive bio. <laughs> I've never had anybody do such a great job before. But you're not particularly old and you've done a lot. And I can say that because I am particularly old. But does it give you pause? It just did a minute ago. And I was like, wow. And we, we didn't even talk about the thing that connected us, which is uh, Muslim Girls DTF uh, is my latest project, which is uh, you know, we're in releasing episodes as we speak weekly on that. So well, yeah. we'll touch on that. Yeah, it's uh, for a... sure. But I have to start with something that I said. Mississippi. Mississippi of all the places. Could yeah. Could you explain that, please? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It was a small college town. Uh, it was very diverse. But that's not where you grew up. That is where I grew up. You yeah, did grow yeah, up in Mississippi. I did. did I your did. parents get lost somewhere? Did they get they got, got a little bit lost on the way to New York. <laughs> <laughs> they took the wrong turn, didn't they? <laughs> just one wrong turn. Yeah, no, it was a really cool place to live, honestly. And uh, it's just, again, very diverse. Uh, just lots of people from all over, like Sudan and Saudi Arabia and huge Indian population, college student. You know, yeah. So who knew? Was, I, who knew? I'm embarrassed knew? to say I just assumed that <laughs> People would just sort of drive around that state or whatever. Yeah, you'd think that, but there was a... So MSU has a huge uh, agriculture and engineering, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of science research that's been done there. Uh, I think, is it T-cells or B-cells, which are, you know, uh, blood cells that were okay. discovered there by a scientist, I believe. I'm not sure if I have that exactly right. But yeah, so there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. In Were your parents there. involved in that field? Uh, no, they weren't. That's like a long story, which we can get into or not. But no, my parents aren't. My mom, uh, I'm one of nine kids. She was a homemaker. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, yeah, raised all of us. Where uh, are you in the food chain? I'm seven of nine. Okay. <laughs> so and uh, my dad's an accountant. We'd always joke about this. There was a Mormon family in town with nine kids. There was a Catholic family with nine, and there we were the Muslim family with nine. <laughs> and all the kids knew each other and played together and grew up together, and we were all around the same ages. You also were going to enter the science field, right? Yeah, and I did for a little bit. And then I just by chance ended up in New York for an internship. 
It was just like, yeah, I was uh, I had started a master's program, but there was like a little glitch in my schedule. And I was visiting my older sister here in New York. She's an architect. She was working here at the time. And um, what year and was that? That was 2006. Maybe? OK. Mm hmm. And yep, so there you go. So I was visiting and she and I randomly met this guy who offered me an internship like out of the blue. He was just like, oh, if you're ever free. Mm-hmm. And it was a, her friend's fiance at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I ended up moving and uh, for just the internship because I had a glitch where I couldn't take a certain class in order to take the other class I needed. So I had to like I could take like two classes or something weird like that. And I didn't want to do that. It, was, it would be like me wasting a semester gotcha. because a certain class wasn't offered that semester that I needed to move forward. Anyway, so I decided to come, and it was a six-month-long internship that just actually just led me to stay here. (laughs) But what happened to you in terms of microbiology? Because as I mentioned in the introduction, you gave that up for the internet. I did for the internet. You know, at the time, so I was looking for jobs, and there weren't any in my little dinky town. And I had my older brother at the time was in um, Dallas, Texas. So wait, you you came here for six months, and then you went back home. I did. I never went back home. So I did microbiology. I did microbiology. And then I started looking for work, but I wasn't finding any. Gotcha. And this was, okay, in Starkville, Mississippi, I wasn't finding any. My brother was in Dallas at the time. And he's like, you know, like your field is just a really weird field. And I was like, you're right, because now I'm realizing you really need a PhD just to get grants, have your own lab, Mm -hmm. like if you want to have that kind of a scientific career, right? And so he was like, well, have you thought about computers? You know, that's like a really cool field. Like, just think about it. I was like, okay. So I took a class and I liked it. Mm -hmm. And then I I was going to sign up for the master's program. And in between all of this, I ended up getting the internship. It was with this uh, computer company. Okay. Right? They make like websites and do some internal hosting and stuff like that. So I got the internship and I was like, you know what? It's New York City. It's six months. Like, why? And I can't, I have to miss the semester anyway. Why don't I just give this a shot? That's how it got started. And so I ended up here. I did the six month long internship and then I was going to move back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, it's funny. My sister convinced me to stay because we were all going to move back. My sister and me, we were both going to move back. And then she left to go to Dallas. To, to be where your brother was? To, uh, yeah, my yeah my parents at this time as well had retired and moved there. Um, okay. And so, yeah, and so I had family there. And uh, and she calls me up and she's like, guys, I don't come here. It's terrible. You don't want to live here. Just stay in New York. I'm going to come back too. And she never did, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and so I just ended up staying. Did you have an epiphany one day in terms of studying the dramatic arts? I ended up getting a job at Google. That's where the epiphany happened. I It was a very creative creative environment. You know, like the person who sat next to me was an opera singer, professional opera singer. And he actually one day, like with me very early on, a couple of months into me working at Google, he just got up and announced one day that he's leaving Google and he was going to go sing opera in Italy for X number of months. He had a gig. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, how cool. You know, and he was like, yeah, my manager's so cool. You know, he said it like if it doesn't work out in six months, I can come back to this job. Very nice. And Google is or was at nurturing time, a very cool place mm-hmm. like that, honestly. And and so I was like, oh, well, if you can be a Googler slash opera singer, mm-hmm. I can be a Googler slash an actress on the side, maybe. There was another guy, actually an engineer at the time, who was getting these small groups together to take flying trapeze lessons. And he then ended up doing like, he ended up like competing in like, I don't know what, like uh, trapeze competitions. So I he mean. became an acrobat. Uh, or an acrobat. I don't know what he oh, was doing, but he was right. doing many things with the with 
all this movement stuff and okay. uh, but you know he continued at Google as well when I left he was still there so I assume he's still there yeah it was just an incredibly creative space and it was very encouraging and there were a lot of people there who were hyphenates like that a lot mm-hmm. of people who had won gold medals in Olympics and had written like multiple books and were now working at Google so yeah and so I just kind of started down this past I took a class at NYU and then that led me to a two-year conservatory at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts so was this something that you had in your head in your heart growing up did you perform in the school plays did you put plays on in the barn in the backyard or I sure did we didn't have a barn but I sure did put on plays as a kid always Mm -hmm. oh before I knew what it was my parents have these recordings of me being like four years old and telling these crazy stories that you made up and that I made up on. and acted out and that I can't even imagine like the vocabulary and I'm like what who what was I taught but I have you know older brothers and siblings lots of them so mm-hmm. I just like absorbed everything from them I guess but um yeah and uh, and I always did that but I just I didn't know I could have a creative career I didn't know being an actor or being a writer was a career somebody could have um, I mean I have kind of a double whammy I come a parent like a child of immigrants and then also growing up in Mississippi it was just zero exposure yeah and it's true and I never saw anyone who looked like me on TV so I just didn't I just didn't think it was for me even school plays and it's a big like a pageant culture there and those are really those those are sort of for like pretty brunette or blonde girls really right. they're not right. for for people like me so you never felt Going back to Mississippi, you never felt out of place? For sure you feel out of place. You know, you do. But I think it's also like, look, wherever you grow up and like your those childhood memories and your friends and you just, it's just your life. You know, sure, I never felt like I fit in anywhere until I landed in New York. And I mm-hmm. think that may be like subconsciously part of the reason I never left. Because I, I remember coming here, I remember thinking, oh, this is a crazy city. It's <laughs> not for me. Mm-hmm. It's just for six months. Now it's like my life and it's a home and I can't. I cannot imagine living anywhere else. And it wasn't until I got here that I felt like, oh, this is what home feels like. It just feels like I belong. It was a natural act. It was a natural thing. And honestly, yes. So in Starkville, it was always like, I guess it was like a place where I didn't belong because it was always a bit of a struggle. And I always felt like an outsider. I never felt like I fit in. But I didn't know it. You don't know it. I think you don't know these things when you're in the moment. Fitting in is different than being discriminated against? I, I talk about this a lot with a lot of my friends who have grown up in like Alabama and wherever in, in the, the south, south and in the, you know yeah. in other places and, and it's like it's really interesting I think it's very different for a girl than it is for a guy we were just joking we just released an episode of Muslim Girls DTF where we, we talk about being called exotic and, and I talked about this it's like when I grew up in Mississippi so it was just black white and me right huh. so everybody was like you're so exotic so it was like this different kind of weird discrimination so it you wasn't were not like categorized yeah it wasn't sense. like you're a, you know it wasn't like you're a terrorist kind of a thing right. because I'm oh, a girl okay. I, oh you're a I female, think right. I think if you talk to my brothers they would probably have a very different story Good which point. would be that other kind of discrimination mm-hmm. that I think a lot of brown male mm-hmm. bodies face in in America right now not just in the south so you, I guess, do well in the conservatory. You were not making a mistake having gone there and yeah. graduated. Yeah, you know, it was a good foundation. It was definitely a good foundation. I felt like I graduated from there and I knew nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was two years and I just knew nothing. And I ended up uh, studying with Win Handman, who is this. He studied with Sanford Meisner uh, and he's 90. He's just turned 97 yesterday. Wow. It's amazing. He's still teaching. And I feel like it wasn't until I graduated and just kind of 
went out into the world was when things really started to, you know, like started to improve and learn. Your first paying jobs were in television, correct? Uh, yeah. Well, there was some paying jobs in theater, but uh, yeah, but less. Mm-hmm. But less, honestly. I mean, of course, TV pays much better than theater ever does. And I was doing this non-union off-off-Broadway mm-hmm. theater that, you know, really doesn't pay. So, yeah, and I was still working at Google. At Google. So yeah, you were able to so lead I was a able double to life. sustain it and lead it. And, and it was always like, oh, I just graduated. That was for fun because you know I had another friend who was doing like these very expensive pilot lessons at Google for fun Mm -hmm. so I just thought Mm -hmm. I would just do this two-year conservatory for fun it was Mm -hmm. totally a hobby Mm -hmm. and then I graduated I was like I'll just audition for fun it was always for fun until it wasn't until I took a class and did uh with Matt Hoverman where I developed dirty packy lingerie so I'd never had any writing classes ever. That was my first any kind of writing class that I took ever. I took the class in 2009 and I wrote what became Dirty Packy Lingerie. And I wrote it and I literally put it away for a whole year. It just like sat in a drawer because mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with it. And then in 2011, randomly, a friend had to last minute drop out of the Midtown International Theater Festival. And she was like, hey, I need somebody to take my slot. And they said if anybody sends in their play, they'll read it. If they accept you, you can grab my slot that I've had to give up in this festival. It was five shows. And so I was like, okay. So I sent it in and they accepted it. But then I realized the play needed a lot of work. So I had to like then do all this stuff around producing that I had never done. But really producing is like project management, which I had done a lot of at Google and at other places. And so I was like, okay, I think I got this. So I had to get, like, I started interviewing directors and I ended up getting really lucky. I uh, worked with Erica Gould, uh, who's a New York uh, City-based director, who did a phenomenal job of just kind of taking the play and working with me to shape it into, you know, a real theatrical piece. Uh, because what I had written were just these monologues. And then she kind of really shaped it. And, and, and it was a process. It took us a couple of years of performing at various places over at least two or three years to really, like, then keep changing and working, you know, workshopping the play in a way to turn it into what it's become. I felt like there were no roles out there for me. I mean, it's changed a lot, right, since 2009. So we're talking about 10 years ago. Literally, you would like, I would go on Actors Access, which is a site where you go to like submit for jobs. And it would be like, hot, leggy, blonde. I was like, oh, first of all, you. <laughs> and second of all, not me. Right. Not hot, leggy, blonde, you know. So I was like, where, what do I get to play? I continue to create more work, not just for me, but for other women as well and other people of color. And I think it's very important because the roles out there still for people like me and are others, scarce. They're scarce. Well, yeah. not only are they scarce, but there's also so stereotypical. I was just going to add that. You know, too. it's like with the, it's, I'm always like the girl with an accent who speaks another language <laughs> uh, or all in another language, whether it's Arabic or Hindi or Urdu, because I speak those languages. I've had parts now on, on TV in all of those languages, you know, just strictly in those languages. I'm not speaking English, you know. And, and so then, that's, is that from under you take what you can get headline? Yeah, or you heading? know, it's a little bit like. Like, okay, well, you're building your career. So right. how do and you do that? And you're getting paid. And you're getting paid and you're getting to be on TV. How do you do all? You know, honestly, I feel like in some ways, like, commercials are way more open to casting people who would look like me. You know, than... that's a very interesting point, yeah. I, it, which is not lost on me because I just said to somebody the other day as I was watching, there are definitely now 
commercials with families where there are interracial marriages. Absolutely. And I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> yeah, it took forever, but, you know. It's it, taken forever, but they're willing to have, like, okay, well, they're the lead in the spot up. who's a bride who's getting married. She can just be a brown girl. It's okay. Exactly. And in a white wedding dress, exactly. you know what I mean? They're just way more open. Yeah. So dirty, packy lingerie. Did it start out, and again, use the term in quotes, being political, or was it extremely personal? You know, it was never political for me at all, but it is a very political play. I didn't realize. I was just writing what I know, right? It's just my truth. It's my community's truth. So Dirty Packy Lingerie is actually, uh, it's funny, people always think it's based on my experiences. It's not. It's based on the community's experiences, actually. I was interviewing, first of all, it just started so randomly. I was, uh, I think the first piece I wrote was... It's a combination of a girl I had just met uh, while I was traveling in Spain. It's a hijabi, covers her hair. Uh, she was just happened to be traveling. We were on the same tour. And uh, so it was based on her and a girl I had grown up with uh, who was also Muslim. So that was the first character I wrote. So it was kind of like based on these people I knew. Then the second character I wrote was I was at a family wedding and there was like this older auntie who I'm related to, not directly, but by marriage, family marriages and stuff. She just started telling me her life story. All this stuff. And it was so fascinating. And uh, I was like, you know what? This is a great character. And this is a story I never hear. So then I actually started going out into the community and talking to more people and interviewing women. Um, What about your mother? Did you think of interviewing your mother or did you? Her, no, I haven't. And her story is not really part of Dirty Packy Lingerie, except maybe somewhat indirectly. You know, I would say maybe there's like one character that's like a very hyper crazy version of my mom in the play. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not my mom at all. But it's like if she was a really like crazy out there person, then maybe that character I could say. And, and yeah. So do you play all the characters? I play all the characters. Yeah. So talk about what this play represents what it means. Is it political? Is it angry? I don't think it's angry at all. Actually, it's very funny. Uh, which and, well, That's and, not a surprise. Yeah, it's a very funny play. And so it's really funny, too. So like 10 years ago when I was writing this, I was actually not in the comedy world at all. I was like, I'm a very serious actor. I do serious dramatic acting. Comedies for sillies. You know, <laughs> really, I come from this, like I had just finished Ada and I was like do, doing all these dramas there. And I was just like very much like, oh, dramatic acting is like the only kind of acting. Right. You know, there's really this crazy idea I had in my own head. And uh, no, and, and so when I was writing Dirty Packy Lingerie, I thought I was writing something very serious. Okay. <laughs> and, and political, maybe, but that was never an intention. Um, it wasn't an intention, but it's become, of course, it is very political. I didn't realize. Sometimes it's like, I think because it was the first thing I ever wrote, I just really didn't know what I was writing. So is it also educational? It is also educational. So I wrote it and then I started taking these pieces into Win Handman's class. And it would be, I'd be performing for like 30 students in his class, right? And I was working on the craft of it, acting wise. And that's when people started laughing. People would laugh. I would do a character and they'd laugh. And I was like, why are they laughing? This is very serious. <laughs> so it wasn't until it was in Wynn's class I discovered like sort of the comedy aspect of it. But, um, you know, look, the play is definitely very political. There's a character in it that's a it's a six year old girl. After 9-11, a lot of men were taken away, Muslim men and others, by the way, non-Muslim men, probably mistaken to be Muslim <laughs> men, were taken away. And uh, so this was a there was an article that was circulating and I got this email about uh, a guy whose name was Muhammad something or another. He had been taken away 
way as a case of mistaken identity. Mm. His family didn't know where he was. He was a green card holder. He had been missing for over a year at this point. His m- wife was a stay-at-home uh, mom of four kids that ranged from like a two-year-old up to like an 11-year-old, all girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had no means of supporting her family. And uh, the community was gathering funds. Because now the guy had been away for a year. They didn't know where he was. They didn't know what jail, where he was. And he, they were not in communication. And they were not oh. in communication. So this was a story that was circulating, right? And and they were like just... So I got this whole long email with the story because they were like, we're trying to raise funds. Can you give us something? And when I read that, I was like, oh, man, how devastating for this woman. Yeah, no kidding. And how devastating for this family. And then I was like, oh, my God, how devastating for these little kids uh-huh. to not even know where their dad is. Can you... I can't even have imagine. have no communication. Yeah. have no communication. So I wrote this little character from this uh, six-year-old girl's perspective. perspective of like her dad's not here and what did she do? So she just talks about Dora and how much she loves Dora and, you know, and how she doesn't want to share her toys with her little girl sister. And, uh, and it's very funny. But underneath it is this dad who's been taken away. And she's grappling with that. And what does it mean? And the NYPD spying on her Sunday school, you know, which is a real thing that happened in New York City as well. Um, NYPD was spying on a lot of Muslim establishments, mm-hmm. including mosques. And they had embedded people in mosques to be informants, informants and yeah. all of that. So it's very political, that piece. But it's also very funny. And it's also very heartwarming. And it's just about this little girl trying to figure out her situation. Yeah. And then tell us how it morphed yeah. from there. You know, it's really f- interesting. I mean, it just came then. I just started interviewing people and based off of people I had grown up with, that just kind of like melded a lot of different characters. There's a character who's a 65-year-old woman in the play who's trying to um, arrange a marriage for her very much unmarriageable daughter who's in her 30s now. <laughs> so she's too old. She's like, she's too old. She, she's too dark-skinned. She's at one point too educated. For so what, she's doomed. You know, so she's right. just doomed because right. she's a thinking, you know, functional woman in the world. You can't right. be that, uh, which is which is very much a real thing, you know. And it's also like based off of something very. I remember my mom at one point uh, was uh, talking. My older sister was much. She's much older than me, um, and wasn't getting married for a very long time. And so my mom was like getting very anxious about sure. that, you know. And um, and I remember at one point there was a lady. She was talking to some lady on the phone in Chicago, and the lady literally said, "Okay, well, um, how old is she? And what does she do?" And my mom's like, "She's an architect." And she's like, oh, "Okay, well, do you have a younger daughter?" She's like, "Yes, yes, I have a younger daughter. She's still in college." She's like, "Well, okay, well, what is she studying?" She's like, "Well, she's about to graduate in microbiology." And the lady goes to my mom, "Your daughters are too educated." Wow. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, right. They're never getting married. They're too educated. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think that things have changed in the last decade. And I, I hope more people don't think like that anymore. But yeah. You well, know. all cultural habits die hard. But yes, I think we have made some some progress. <laughs> in, in well, what's really interesting, too, is like whenever I perform that woman, uh, that character, I have said so many like Jewish people always tell me that reminds them of their mom, <laughs> you know, or an auntie, some aunt they know or, or uh, Everybody, yeah, sure. Japanese, American, you name it. So this kind of morphs together with all these different stories. And then how did you get to take it on the road and perform? I feel like I got really lucky. So I did it at the, the Midtown International Theater Festival. That was the first time I performed right, it when you, with Erica. That last minute kind of inclusion. That last minute yeah. kind of inclusion that happened. Because before I didn't know how to get a show off the ground at all. I'd never done it. I was still working at Google, right? Mm-hmm. That was like my day job. And yeah, I performed it there. And uh 
that was where luck stepped in, I feel like. So there was um, the Wall Street Journal ran a feature story in the Sunday, um, their Sunday edition. And the minute like that story came out, we sold out those five shows. Um, And then NPR picked up that story. And it was on All Things Considered. And they had kind of like a talking head that they had talked to from within the Muslim community that gave like a little commentary on it. They they did a little piece and they were like, oh, and it's this play is running. And that came out on that Monday. My first show was on, I think, that Tuesday or Wednesday was the first show. We sold out. We had this amazing press when we also got some other great reviews um, from just New York um, City Places. Well, not for nothing. This was probably a very long time coming. When I performed, well, I was the only, the first one. <laughs> it was the yeah, first. what a surprise! It was the the only. But you know, since then there have been several actually. But it, sure. it was interesting. So a lot of the you're groundbreaking. It's interesting, yeah. And at that time, a lot of the press and the reviews we were getting was like the for the first time ever, mm-hmm. Muslim American yeah, women stories some... are out there on you know. Yes, and that should not have been dismissed. Because that is a very big deal. It's interesting. I didn't think. Yeah, it was. It was. I was like, okay, the first one. Great. Give me that press. You yeah, know? yeah. I'll take it. And own it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Own it, Isa, because that really is a big deal. So after those five shows, did you get picked up? To- yeah. So then we actually, I got invited to bring the show to the largest theater festival of South Asian arts, uh, mm-hmm. which happens every year in Toronto. Uh, it's called Masala Mastimendi. So they invited us to come perform. And that was like somewhat of a paid gig. And I was like, oh, you can get paid for this work. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> and then we came back. And this was uh, Erica and I both at the same time. We were just like, this was in August. And then September was right around the corner. And uh, 2011 was the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. Right. So we both were like, man, we should do... Capitalize on this, ca- huh? Well, more than that, we were like, man, you know what? She a lot of what, what a lot of people were also writing about was not only is it the first, it was always, oh, it's a collaboration between a Muslim artist and a Jewish artist because Erica's Jewish. Yeah, and she was what? Your director? She's my director. director. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. Who really kind of got the show off the ground, man, because it would have been a very different thing without her. I mean, mm-hmm. she really directed Well, she it. brought her expertise. She brought her expertise, and she does have expertise of uh-huh. 20 years of doing theater as opposed to me, I was like, I got two months. Right, <laughs> I've been at this right. for two months, so let's do this. Yeah, and so we put together these sort of interfaith panel discussions. We put together a 9-11 anniversary weekend special edition. We did the show, and then we did these interfaith uh, panels, and there was a professor, actually also, I believe, a Jewish professor, uh, who came from Fordham, a lovely woman, and she was one of our, our panelists, and then she was like, hey, would you be interested in bringing this play to Fordham? She because she was like I, she teaches a class on uh, gender mm-hmm. um, and uh, women's equality, I believe, and and sexuality. And Fordham is a Catholic university, and is a Catholic university, <laughs> and she, she a lot of was Jewish, uh-huh. and there was a Muslim student association, so she got all these people to kind of co-sponsor uh-huh. the play, and that was the first time where I was like, oh, I can take this show to colleges. And get paid. (laughs) (laughs) Because for me, it was always about like, okay, if I'm working at Google and I'm hitting this job and I don't love it, and I love doing theater and I love creating these characters and sharing these stories, I was like, how do I do more of this and make it a sustainable job that Uh pays me? You know, and it was at these sort of first performance experiences where... There was a there was a a lot of like Muslim women came out, hijabi women covered up all that, and uh, 
it wasn't until I talked to them after the performance where they were like, thank you for showing my story. Yeah, giving me a voice. But giving me a voice because they'd never had that where I was like, oh, this is important. This is more than just me. Mm -hmm. You know, it goes beyond all of that. And I didn't understand it until I started performing. Because you just write. It's such a lonely you're writing solitary, in a solitary, sure. in a silo. You sit in a room and you write. I don't know if it's gonna anyone is ever gonna relate to it, you of know, course. until I do it. So, yeah, those. And it wasn't until I was at Fordham, and this is a really this changed my life. I was at Fordham. They had done this reception after uh, the performance, and this woman came up to me, and she her English was not perfect, and she was a college student, and uh, she must have been maybe twenty years old, and she was like, you know. I've never met a Muslim woman who was an artist of any kind. And she said, I'm here, I'm studying law, and I'm from Afghanistan. And they had just uh, migrated to the U.S. not that long ago. And she said, uh, uh, my family really wants me to study law, but I want to study music. And she's like, and you know, and because I met you, I now think maybe I can do both. Yeah, it changed yeah. my life. I yes. was like, "Whoa, okay, you know." I Isn't mean, that wonderful, absolutely, and and things that like you wouldn't even think would come out of it have uh-huh. come out of it, you know. And the show continues to have a life. I'm taking it to Rome, actually. I'm doing a tour. I, well, I took it to Rome in uh, January, and uh, they they are now bringing me back to do like a three four city tour uh, in Italy. And you continue November. to go to college, and I continue right? to go to colleges, and that's like the most meaningful to me is like working with the students. Oh, I bet. This play has been this amazing gift. <laughs> How much of it is updated based on what's going on in the world today, particularly when it comes to immigration, Absolutely. as well as all the prejudices that just can't seem to be dissipated? Around women, too, not just uh, yes. immigrants. Yeah, yes. so it's really yes, interesting. Exactly. I there's, a, there's spots in the play. There's two little pockets of plays, actually, uh, pockets of text, uh, which, which continue to be updated, and we can update. And I, and I have to give credit to Erica, too. As part of it is actually her brilliance. She really, at one point, like pushed me to do that, because because I was like, I don't want to do that. A play is done. It's done. You know, but she was like, as things change, you might want to think about it. I was like, okay, okay, fine, fine. So we do keep continue to update. And with everything that's been happening politically, um, you know, in America, it's definitely it's important yeah. right now. Oh, absolutely. I want to ask you to talk about your current project. This kind of started off as a tweet. I had gotten this thing to audition for that I actually ended up refusing to audition for, which I'm so glad I did. It was just like this character, Muslim girl uh, named Fatima, which is every Muslim yeah, character. Yeah, hello. I'm mm-hmm. like, please, wears a hijab, takes it, puts it on, takes it off. I'm like, why? Why? And it was also written by a white guy. I'm like, why oh, yeah. are you constantly telling these stories? You know, just tell a different story. There's a more nuanced story. It's okay if you want to tell that story, but there's like 50 other stories you could also tell. So, yeah, and I just tweeted it out. I was like, hey, you know, <laughs> I think I said white writers, stop writing female Muslim characters named Fatima who take <laughs> off their hijab. I'm like, why? I tweeted it and all these women started responding. And a lot of them were actually Muslim comics or female Muslim writers or comedy writers. And we just we just kept on and on. And the threat we had, I don't know, it was like 40 different responses and retweets and everybody. And, and then we were like, I was like, 
somebody was like, oh, we should totally collaborate. We should be writing these characters. Duh. <laughs> you know, right? And we never get to. We don't even get in those rooms. And then some of us just decided to meet offline, those of us who are based in New York. So it started off very small. There were maybe four or five of us. Uh, we met, and then we were like, hey, let's like, uh, why don't we just create something? And then we were like, what's the easiest thing to create? And so I, I had this idea that I'd had for a while around just getting women, Muslim women, to talk about whatever. Do you like chocolate? Tell us what, tell us what your favorite food is. Literally, my idea was that simple. <laughs> or like, what? tell us your worst dating story. I don't know, something. And uh, I, I was like, why don't we just do that? And and the idea was, I knew this would happen, would be that the answers would be very diverse. Because I know that Muslim women are very diverse. Right. I know this, but I think sometimes the, the powers that be don't know this. So my idea was just to have women answer everyday kind of questions around life, love, uh-huh. career, and, and just get a diverse uh, mix of women to give their opinions on it. And we would just cut it together. And that would be like one episode would be just like about, do you like chocolate? <laughs> you know? So then we just all started working on this together. So uh, Athir Yaqub, who is my co-creator in Muslim Girls DTF. What does the DTF stand for? Yeah, discuss their faith. As opposed to WTF. Yes. (laughs) Or DTF, what it really means is, you know, can I say this? Yeah, sure. Down to fuck. Yeah, so Athir and then Roxanne as well both have been kind of really instrumental in getting this off the ground and like helping me hash out these ideas and like what to do in the filming part of it. So mm-hmm. we we created a web series um, called Muslim Girls DTF uh-huh. and we're in the middle of releasing our episodes. Uh, is we, it scripted? It is unscripted. So we just basically had the questions we knew we wanted. And how many are you? There's are, eight of us. And it, it that stays the same? That stays the same every episode, yeah. As, as eight women. Yeah. And what's the diversity in terms of age? There is diversity. So there's disability diversity. Ooh, there's nice. age diversity. Uh-huh. We definitely have women who range from our 20s all the way up to our maybe late 40s. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you'll never run out of material. We'll never run out of material, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> so that's another of your projects. As I see, we're running out of time, but do you have your fingers in some other pies? Do you want to continue performing separate from Dirty Pocky Lingerie? Absolutely. So, I mean, I do. I mean, I have other, uh, you know. Do I'm, you do stand-up? I don't do stand-up that I've done it, but I don't do it, like, every day. I'm not out mm-hmm. there, like, doing stand-up. No, but um, but maybe. Maybe well, I you, you don't close any doors. <laughs> right, absolutely. I, but I interrupted you. Do you. What else do you uh, have up your sleeve? Yeah, sure. So I'm in post-production on a feature film right now. Right. Uh, and with, are you making Dirty Packy Lingerie a feature? We right? took some of the characters from Dirty Packy Lingerie and turned it into a feature film. It's an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a couple of people from Bollywood that are in it. Oh, nice. There are some up-and-coming comics actually in it that are on Netflix right now. Moamir from The Vagabond uh, and the Rami uh, show on Hulu right now is uh-huh. in it. Uh, George Went from... Oh, sure, George. Cheers. Yes, cheers. <laughs> he said he plays actually a Trump-like character oh. in the film, and he does an amazing job. Uh-huh. Uh, David Rashi, uh, and then just a bunch of New York actors, uh, some amazing friends and other collaborators who I've admired for long. And uh, yeah, so we're in post-production on that right now. I'm excited to for the film. To so come. in other words, Isa is in a really good place. <sighs> Isa is, okay, thank you for saying that. Yes, I am. Because I always, as artists, I feel like we constantly feel like we're not in a good place. What more could I be doing, you know? Well, yeah, I get there's <laughs> a lot of nail biting. It's and, like daily, and, uh, yeah. daily struggle. But no, it's a good place. How does your family feel about what you've accomplished? Super supportive. They're so excited. I ended up taking the play to uh, Pakistan with the U.S. State Department. You so, do you still have family there? Uh, I do have extended family there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like my parents couldn't have been more proud of just going out there and, you know, working with the youth there oh, and adults terrific. as well. 
well but, around like yeah. storytelling and just so important. So important. It was really great. You're a one woman band that's just affected a lot of change and is out there with a strong sense of self and good for you. you Thank know? you so much. Well, it's a one woman band with a lot of support from a lot of other I get people, that. I have to say. All right, but you're the, you know, you're the <laughs> core, you know, and I think it's just terrific. So you'll keep us posted about I what sure goes will. on in I your will. professional life and you'll come back. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to come back. Totally my pleasure. <laughs> Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.